0: What's going on, everybody? My name is Jordan, one of the pastors. So this Sunday, we had some technical difficulties in getting the sermon recorded. So I am live and in a booth uh, recording this one because it's a really important topic this week as we are talking about faith. So far, we've been in the series on Genesis and this first part of the series in Genesis. We're talking about anatomy and in anatomy. We're taking things apart to get a better understanding of them. In the first few weeks, we looked at things like deception and envy and shame. And today we're looking at a passage of scripture that talks about one of the most important things in the Bible faith. When I think about what I want my life to be about, more than anything else, I want to be known as a person that lived by faith. I want to be able to look back on my life and say that I lived by faith. Now, some of the most remarkable people that I've ever met and some of the most remarkable people that you've ever met have all been people that we can describe in this one way right here. They were the believe in spite of people. Have you ever met anybody like that? Believe in spite of that they might have been going through difficult circumstances financially or with their health or with unmet expectations or their family or they're just going through difficult stuff but yet their confidence in God is unshakable. They still have joy, and they still have peace that defies logic. They have, as Paul says, that peace that surpasses all understanding. And sometimes it means that it doesn't even make sense. Sometimes you might even wonder if they're in denial, but they're not. They actually just trust God. And to be perfectly honest, it's inspiring. And one of the main reasons that I'm a Christian today is because one of those believe in spite of people And when I think about their stories and how they've shown their faith through their lives, it's been something that's been life-changing for me. Now, there's a piece of all of us that internalizes what other people are going through, and we ask ourselves, I wonder what I would do in those circumstances. And when you meet one of those people who are one of those believe in spite of people, it makes you honestly just go, wow. Now, there's a few people in my life that have inspired me for real, and it's interesting, the people that have inspired me the most are not super gifted, charismatic speakers. I've heard some of the best speakers on the planet, and while they entertain me for a half an hour or so, I don't really leave marked by their lives. But what's, what does stay with me are the people who really live by faith. I became a Christian in college because of a friend named Veronica Veronica and I were in Spanish class together, and I remember there being something different about her. Other people, like me, would be trying to cheat on tests and projects, and I remember her just committing to study, refusing to cheat on anything. It was so different that I asked to study Spanish with her, and one day we were in the library and she shared her faith with me. She didn't beat me over the head or anything, but I did get a look at what it looks like for someone to be on our college campus and live her life by faith. In some ways, she was the first person I met on my college campus that was like a legitimate Christian. Like she had a legit for real faith that when everyone else around her was cheating on tests and doing their own thing, she was one of those believe in spite of people that she didn't need everybody else uh, or everyone else's validation. She just followed God and she committed herself to do that. Now, it's interesting because I don't really remember what she shared with me the first day she shared her faith. I just remember thinking that I kind of want what she has. I walked away that day thinking I wanted what she had. Later that day, she invited me to a Bible study with some guys on campus, and the rest is history. And in some ways, I decided to follow Jesus, not because I was so sure that Jesus was the way. I still had questions about, did Jesus raise from the dead, and all those different things. One of my biggest motivations on following Jesus was that these examples that I had, their faith inspired me to take my first steps toward Jesus when I didn't know a lot myself. Now, it wasn't just what got me into the door of Christianity, but I've been borrowing faith from people ever since that day. God has used people in my life who have lived by faith to shape me in ways that I could have never imagined. I won't go into the long story, about my late wife, Danielle, but one of the main reasons that we have Renaissance Church is because of her faith in God. She was diagnosed with a rare and fatal cancer in 2010. And one of my fears, I remember when she first got diagnosed, one of my fears was that she would go to her grave, hating God. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know that I would have blamed her if she did. But a few minutes after we got the worst news of our life, that she probably had a few weeks or months to live We kicked my mother out the room My dad out the room And we kicked the doctor out the room Just so we can talk And what she said to me In those next moments were things that would Stick with me for the rest of my life She looked at me and she says Jordan, I'm either going to be healed Or I'm going to be with Jesus But either way, it's a win-win She did go on to be with Jesus, but what stuck out to me in that 10 months of her battling cancer was that she never felt bad for herself, but she trusted that God was good to her no matter what was happening inside her body. One of the greatest treasures that I have to this day is her journal. I never read it while she was alive because I always wanted to respect her privacy and I never wanted her to worry about me snooping behind her. But there's a journal entry that I read after she passed away that has given me like a breath of fresh air in some of my most dark and difficult moments. Moments when I wondered, is it all worth it? Who cares about this whole Jesus thing anymore? And there's one journal entry where she wrote called, Fight, Finish, Keep the Faith. Fight, Finish, Keep the Faith. And when I didn't have enough faith on my own a lot of days, I borrowed hers. There have been days since, since then when life's pain, confusion, or just my, my boredom with God and church have been cured by that one sentence. Don't stop now, Jordan. Fight, finish, keep the faith. In a lot of ways, I'm still a Christian to this day, and we're all a part of Renaissance Church because of, God how, because of how God used her and her faith, uh, this believe in spite of faith, to shape me. Now, there have been other times when I felt like as a pastor, I was just losing my focus. Um, And then I would meet someone who not because of their speaking ability or gifts um, really inspired me and redirected me. And it was just because of their faith. I was challenged and redirected. A few years ago, my wife and I, Jessica, we emceed an event where we were interviewing pastors from all over the world. And there was this one guy there named China from China not named China, from China, named Abraham. And uh, when we asked him about what were his biggest obstacles, his answer wasn't something that I would ever, ever think about. His answer about his biggest obstacle in his church was his friends and people in his church were being arrested for being Christians. And they were being thrown in prison for their faith. After he said that, I kind of zoned out and wasn't even listening to any of the rest of the conversation uh, because I thought about what would I do if my life and my liberty were really at stake. One of the, my favorite things that I have, um, that I can do every single night, is I like to go into my, my kids' rooms when they're asleep, and there's something about looking at sleeping kids, uh, mainly because you don't have to do anything with them anymore, but uh, watching my kids sleep is one of my great joys in life. And I remember thinking that while Abraham was talking about his friends going to prison sometimes for up to 10 years uh, just for practicing their faith, I thought to myself, Jordan, would would you give up 10 years of this to be a pastor? And I don't always know that I would. In moments like that, even talking to Abraham, I was ignited and I was challenged and encouraged and kind of blown away by just his faith. Faith is a really big deal. Like Veronica and Danielle and Abraham and so many others that you know, I want to live by faith. I want that to be the defining characteristic of our lives, trusting every step of the way and being one of those in spite of people. Now, it's no surprise that when the author of Hebrews talks about people who have lived their life by faith, he then turns to us and says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. Here, the author of Hebrews is saying that there is a cloud of witnesses, the men and women that have gone before us that remind us of what faith looks like. Faith looks like and is meant to be contagious. It's the life altering thing that some of us have gotten a glimpse of in other people's lives. And these, this is one of the things that we want all of our lives to have the defining characteristic of. So let's dig into the anatomy of faith. Let's see what it is made up of and pray that in this text, we would see this and that this would be true in our lives, that we would become people who live by faith. Now, fair warning from the outset, to live a life of faith will not come without its fair share of challenges. But today we're going to learn how to, um, we're going to break down what what does it look like to have faith, to be a person that lives by faith, and so that we can become hopefully one of these by faith people. Story we're focusing in on today comes from Genesis 12, uh, verses one through nine. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So what's happening right here, the first verse, we see that real, genuine, life-changing faith is a call to the unknown. So what do we see in this text? God says to Abraham, go out, leave your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Faith is bigger than just what you say you believe. Faith is a call into the unknown where you and I are invited onto a journey to trust God. So the first bit of anatomy about if we're going to break down faith and understand what it's like, uh, the first part of anatomy is that faith is a call to the unknown. And God was calling Abraham to step away from what was secure for him, what was familiar, and for him to journey into the unknown. Now, this whole past week, I've been thinking about this concept of why God would call Abraham to leave where he was in order to do things in his life. And if you think about it, What God was trying to accomplish in his life was growth, because in all of our lives, in every single stage of our life, growth requires that we leave where we were uh, to go to another stage and to another level. For babies in their mother's womb, in order for them to grow, they need to leave and be born, and it would be really unhealthy for the mom and the baby if they stayed in too long. They have to leave. And when we're born, our life is a series of growth, where we leave where we go, go out and move forward. We leave diapers behind. At some point, we go out from being taken care of from our parents 24-7 and go to daycare or school. And over and over again, our maturation process is actually us leaving what we would known and all the comforts that they gave us in moving forward to unknown territories um, in our life. Now, eventually, we leave our parents' house and hopefully one day leave our parents' wallets And we are out on our own. And this is just a natural, healthy process of growth that all of us do in our lives. So it makes all the sense in the world that spiritually, it's the same thing, that growth and maturation is a process of leaving what was familiar, leaving what we knew and going to new territories. So we see this in the text in Genesis 12, where God calls Abram to leave his relatives, his father's house. And uh, his father's land And it's really interesting The things that are selected here Why God is calling Abraham And it shows us uh, what it looks like to have a real genuine faith Where we are leaving what's familiar And we are leaving what is secure The way that we've always done things That's what familiar means The way that you've always done things And to leave what is secure The things that make you feel comfortable and secure um, And trusting God And just taking that step in faith So the first part of Abraham's journey was to walk away from what was familiar, that's his country, his people, and his father's household. And really, at a very fundamental level, we all have a very basic human need to belong. It's a constant that exists among all people in all cultures, and for God to call Abraham away from his own people was a call away from familiarity. There's a safe feeling that we all get when we're around people that share our values, and people that we understand. And this is why people, even non-religious people, meet in groups. There's atheist groups that gather together because there is a human need to belong to a group. And when God called Abraham away from his country, he was calling him away from the comfort that we get from being around people that are like us. Faith is a call into the unknown where we are invited into a journey to simply trust God. And sometimes that includes you being called to leave what is familiar. Now, not only that, but um, this is cool for you guys who study the Bible. It was a really big deal for Abraham to leave because he was an older man. Scripture says he was in his 70s and he knew that he probably wasn't coming back. He was going to leave and die in another place. And it's interesting that it was shameful for someone in his culture to not be buried in their homeland. So for Abraham, he would have heard this call with a lot more at stake. Not only was his present circumstance shaky, but it was also his family name at stake. Not only that, but he was also called to leave his father's household, which is huge because in his culture, there was only one head of household that owned the entire economic estate. So leaving his father's household was not just leaving his father's land. It was leaving his financial security behind as well. And this is before before Venmo and PayPal. He couldn't just have his pops wire him some money. So what is God calling him to do? God is removing the crutches for Abraham, things that he could have relied on in the past and inviting him into a journey into the unknown. Here's what I found over and over and over and over again. One of the real indications that you and I are in a relationship with God, and not just the God of our imagination, but the God of the Bible, is that God challenges you. God pushes you beyond what you're already defining as a thing that you would do or wouldn't do. Now, if there's no calls in your life, if there's nothing in your life right now, uh, and there haven't been anything in your life where you felt like God is calling you to leave familiarity and security and take a step out and to... Uh, trust God in a brand new season where things are more unknown than known, then a lot of ways the God you might be worshiping is the God of your imagination, not the God of the Bible. Here's a fun fact. The God of our imagination always seems to agree with us. He likes everyone we like. He doesn't like the people we don't like. He never contradicts you. And at the most, he just kind of wants you to be nicer. But the first thing that we see in the faith life of Abraham is that he is confronted by this call that went against everything that he would have wanted. Now, before we get too far down the road in this concept of faith and leaving familiarity and comfort, a lot of times when we have this conversation about faith, a lot of times people think it's this call to leave your job and to start a business. And that's a good thing uh, for maybe three of you listening to this podcast and no shade to that, because that's what I did. I left my job as an attorney to start a church. But I think the call of faith to leave what is familiar and secure is so much bigger and more broad than just a new job or a new vocation or starting a business or an organization. For a lot of us, it could be something much that hits much closer to home and is really difficult, but it's still going to call for you to leave familiarity and security. What am I talking about? Uh, for some of you, quite honestly, and I, and I don't say this lightly, for some of you, it's a call to get out of a really unhealthy relationship. And the, the main reason you're staying is not because there's a future, it's just because it's familiar and it's comfortable. For others, it's admitting that you have a drinking problem or a problem with something. Uh, and it's familiar and comfortable for you to not tell anybody, for nobody to know what's really going on in your life. And it feels like an unknown thing for you to open your life up to people and maybe you've never done that before and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what their response is going to be, but it might be what God is calling you to do. For others of you, it's to live generously. Maybe generosity has been something that you've thought about for years, but it's not something that you've ever really done and lived out of. Why is that? Because it's familiar and it's, it's comfortable and it's secure to kind of keep most of your stuff for yourself, or maybe to not be as generous as you feel God might be calling you to do. Now, the list is long. We can go down a hundred different examples of what it might look like for you to leave familiarity and security and just simply trust God and to take that step to, to trust him. But this is what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, genuine faith, this call to the unknown, where we are invited, invited on a journey to trust God. It's interesting. All of the the verbiage, um, and we'll see that in the second thing, the second thing that we see about uh, faith, real uh, good biblical godly faith from this text, is not just that God gives us a call, but also God calls us to trust in his promises. Look at verses one through three. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, it's all of my grammar uh, geeks. um, The verbiage in this one, it's all future tense, right? It's saying, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this in your life. Abraham is called... Is simply trusting God's promises. That God's promises, God's promises are more important than what he can see around him. Trusting what God says more than what he sees. What he could see at that point was nothing. Simply just that God called him to leave everything which he did know and did make him feel comfortable and secure and to step out into this unknown territory, and all he has to stand on are the promises. But here's a a, a smaller part of this that I don't think we get too much. It's that the promise here to Abraham was that when Abraham started walking, that's when God would start to guide. So in some ways, a lot of people get stuck in life and they get stuck in faith. And I think it's because God mainly guides moving feet. A lot of times we're waiting for the entire game plan or what's going to happen at the end. And God tells people who want to live by faith, listen, start walking. And he promises that he will start guiding. Now, there are certainly times when God feels silent and distant uh, or inactive in our lives. And that's not because we're not doing something we're supposed to be doing. That's just because sometimes to be in relationship with God, we just can't control the pace or how things work. But there are other times when we don't feel God's guidance and I think one of the principal problems is we don't feel the guidance because we haven't started moving. The great abolitionist Frederick Douglass once said like this, I prayed for 20 years, but I received no answer until I prayed with my legs. I prayed for 20 years and I received no answer until I prayed with my legs. Now, a lot of us are struggling with faith because... Um, This is just the essence of it, that God calls us, and he calls us to trust in his promises, and that's just not easy. Now, part of the reason that it's not easy is because I think we also misunderstand what faith is. When God was calling Abraham to step out, a lot of times we think that we are supposed to step out on faith, and that's partially true. We are supposed to step out on faith, but more importantly, we're supposed to step out on faith in God. I think one of our biggest issues is a lot of times we have faith in our faith and not faith in our God. Much more important than the strength of your faith is the object of your faith. What is the object that you are placing your faith in? If you are placing your faith in God and his promises, that God promises to take care of us, that if we start walking, he will start taking care of us. He will guide us. He will lead us. All we have to do is, be, is follow and be obedient to whatever he calls us to do right now. Now, it's really interesting. I think that the type of faith and the type of engagement and the type of trust that we need to have is difficult for many of us because what the Bible describes as real faith is childlike. Jesus says in Matthew 18 and 3, truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Man, what is Jesus getting at? If you want the kingdom of heaven in your life, you have to be like a child. What are children like? Children know that they cannot provide for themselves, but they will also unashamedly ask over and over again, believing that you are both willing and able to give them any and everything. I think the life of that faith requires is one that when you and I approach God, not as our grand instructions our grand instructor who comes to give us directions, but the one who will provide for us every single step of the way. And all we need to do is start moving in the direction he's calling us to, and he will meet us there. There's a legend about Alexander the Great, and Alexander the Great had a general whose daughter was getting married. And he valued this soldier very greatly and offered to pay for the wedding. When the general gave Alexander Stewart the bill, It was absolutely enormously high. The steward came to Alexander and told him the amount. And to his surprise, Alexander the Great smiled and said, pay it. Don't you see, by asking me for such an enormous sum, he does me a great honor, Alexander the Great said. He believes that I am both rich and generous. Now, I wonder oftentimes in my life, do I believe that God is both rich and generous And what do we see in the gospel message? What is the essence of Christianity? That the one who didn't know any sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. If there's ever any question, if God is good and generous, all we need to do is look at that cross. And on the cross, we see God's goodness and his generosity for us to take our place. The third thing we see in this text is that faith is just taking the next faithful step. Saying you believe is one thing, but taking steps in that direction is a different thing altogether. Now, one thing that if you're reading scripture, you'll notice as one repetitive theme is that God's promises never lead to a dead end. He's good on his word. And we see this in verse four, that um, uh, what God was asking of Abraham was just to take this next faithful step, believing and trusting that this it wasn't a dead end at the end of it. It says in verse 4, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Now, those first words are immensely powerful. And faith, genuine faith, is being able to put your name in this sentence. So I went as the Lord told me. Put your name in in that sentence, that your life will be characterized by that. Now, in other words, we could say it like this, that faith ain't really faith until you To act on it. And your faith and my faith, the way to grow an amazing faith is not to think about 30 feet or 30 years down the line. It's simply to take the next faithful step. This past week, we gave out um, a Lent devotional that will be online on our website. Check our social channels, Instagram, uh, Twitter, at RenaissanceNYC. Um, and that's R E N A I S S A N C E N Y C dot com. Uh, so, renaissancenyc.com or at RenaissanceNYC on Twitter or Instagram. For a lot of us, the next faithful step for you is committing more time to scripture reading and to prayer in ways that you really haven't been doing it before. And this devotional is a great way for you just to jump into that stream. Now, we have devised this devotional for everyone, that whether, whether you are a Bible reading scholar, it, you'll get something out of it. And whether this is your first time really meaningful, meaningfully engaging in scripture, you also will get something out of it. Um, this is something that we've spent a lot of time on, hoping that this will bless you. And it lasts for three weeks up until Easter. So we're hoping that you, you download that or pick one up in church and make sure that you are uh, tracking along with us. But that just might be your next faithful step. You're just saying, yes, you know what? I'm going to commit to setting my alarm 10 or 15 minutes earlier and making sure that I'm spending time understanding God in scripture. For others of you, maybe your next faithful step is making sure that you start to take more ownership of the relationships you have with people with respect to their walk with God. I've always said this. There's a lot of people who are far from God, but they're close to you. And we've talked about this earlier in today's message about all the people who have gone out on a limb for people. And you might be someone else's Veronica. You might be the person that someone tells a story about that you shared your life with them. Now, studies have shown that up to three quarters of people would go to church on Easter and Christmas if they were invited. And maybe your next faithful step is to live more on the edge, just trusting that God has put you in situations where you could be close to people who are far from him, but they're close to you, and that maybe they might respond well, and who knows what might happen in your life. So whatever it is for you, whether it's devotional, whether it's taking a step a little bit more scary than that, just take it and watch God's faithfulness. Now, the last piece of this is something that a lot of people miss out on, and I've missed out on this for a long time. What is real faith made up of? How is it fueled? Uh, We see in this text that real faith is fueled by worship. So if we're going through the anatomy of worship, if we're breaking it down, I mean, if we're going through anatomy of faith and breaking it down what it is, number one, it is a call into the unknown. Number two, it is a call to trust in God's promises. Number three, it's us taking that next faithful step. And number four, it is broken down and best seen on that we it is fueled by worship. Number four, it is fueled by worship. What do I mean by worship? I mean when we take our hearts and our minds off of ourselves and our situations, and we are reminded of the love, wisdom, power, and grace of God. All throughout scripture we see that worship is so much more than singing of songs. It involves two concepts biblically, one, laying yourself down, and two, pointing our ta- our attention to God, the one who is worthy of honor and homage. These two things together, laying ourselves down and directing our minds to God and his power, his sovereignty, and his grace, this is the act of worship. And there is a deep interconnectedness between our faith and our worship. Now, it's meant to Give us a confidence and a level and an endurance that we would not have without it. So in verse nine, seven through nine, we see, uh, says the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and then AI on the east. He built an altar there to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. Now, it's an ancient practice of building an altar, but essentially what Abram was doing was establishing a place and a time for him to redirect his mind and his attention away from his journey, this scary journey, and putting it back on God. That's worship. Now, the more and more you and I live and take steps in faith to trust God and his promises, the more and more you and I will need to be fueled by worship. Your faith is not going to be a product of your willpower, but by your worship, what you are intentionally pointing your mind to. There's a great story about a woman named Mary Previty. She's in her 80s now, but she was uh, a teacher at a school uh, right after Pearl Harbor was attacked um, in World War II, and Japanese soldiers showed up at this American boarding school in China and took everyone hostage and put them in the Weishen concentration camp. When asked Mary Previty how she survived and how she and others survived, this was a Christian boarding school, she said that their survival tactic was to sing songs of worship. She says, I can still remember the first verse of Psalm 46. All of these words that we sung were sung into our hearts, And every time we sung them, we believed more and more. She says, while we were in the internment camps, we believed that we were safe. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and our strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with its turmoil. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Now, as you go about this week, I would greatly advise you to spend some time praying and spend some time in the devotional um, and taking your attention off of your journey and putting it on God and see what that does to your faith. Faith is a call into the unknown where we are invited on a journey to just trust God. God, I pray that we would take these steps this week, no matter how scary, no matter how unfamiliar, no matter how much security we're leaving behind. I pray that we'd be known as people who lived by faith.